0: Hello and welcome to the Paradox Podcast. Thank you so much to all of our online donors who make this podcast possible. Today we are looking at John chapter 13, 18 and 21 and today's teaching is entitled Peter's Paradox. Our story today unfolds at a dinner party between Jesus and his 12 disciples. John, the narrator, sets up this story by telling us that Jesus is very aware that he is about to die soon. John tells us these things so that we might understand the gravity and the weight of every word Jesus selects when speaking to his disciples. These are emotional and valuable words that we should pay attention to. So in that context, Jesus says in verse 31 of chapter 13, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In this paragraph, Jesus tells his disciples that other people will understand whether or not they follow Jesus based on how well or not well. They love the people around them. In response to this simplified commandment, Simon Peter, also known as Peter, asks Jesus a question in verse 36. Lord, where are you going? Jesus responds to Peter, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus responded with a question. Will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Let's pause for a minute and let that scene sink in. Here is Jesus saying some of the final words of his life here on earth. There is a gravity and a weight to the words that he is speaking, and the disciples begin to pick up on it. So much so that Peter decides to interject and says, why can't I go with you? I will lay down my life for you. Now, this is a bold claim that we assume Jesus will applaud, but Jesus responds by saying, nah, I don't think you will. In fact, Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times by tomorrow morning. These are not words that Peter wants to hear. But Jesus says them nonetheless. Now, as the story goes in John, Jesus keeps speaking in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Then in John 17, Jesus prays with his disciples. And after that prayer, John chapter 18 begins with these words. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley. If you have never been to Jerusalem, this doesn't mean anything to you. But to those of us who have been to Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley is a prominent geological feature that you cannot forget. Most people who have never been to Jerusalem are familiar with the Kidron Valley, whether they know it or not. Because most pictures of Jerusalem are from across the Kidron Valley. So Jesus and his disciples cross this valley. It's not that far. They go into a garden known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And then in verse 3 of chapter 18, John writes these words. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees. And they came there to the garden with lanterns and torches and weapons. So this battalion of soldiers and police officers shows up armed to the teeth. And Jesus sees them in verse 4, and John tells us that Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward, approached these people with their weapons, and asked them, for whom are you looking? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus replied, I am he. In verse 6, we read, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back And fell to the ground. This is a strange response from people wielding weapons to Jesus saying just three words. But John wants the reader to connect this story to a larger theme. John is a Jewish author, and he is inviting all Jewish readers to remind themselves of the story that takes place in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus 3, God appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And in response to the burning bush, Moses falls down on the ground, Moses removes his shoes, and then asks what God's name is. God responds in Exodus 3 with the words, I am. John is inviting readers everywhere to make a direct connection between Jesus saying, I am he, to God saying, I am. And the people who hear these words responding with a posture of reverence. In verse seven, Jesus asks them again, for whom are you looking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. Now Peter, upon hearing this dismissal, becomes frustrated, He becomes so frustrated that in verse 10, we read these words, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. Notice the contrast between what is happening here when Peter strikes someone else with a sword and the contrast between that and what happens in John 13, when Peter says, I will lay down my life for you. That's very different than what Peter actually means, which is, I will kill someone else for you. Now John, in the midst of all of this violence, does an amazing thing, which is in verse 10, he names the slave. He tells us that the slave's name was Malchus. And this is important because John wants to humanize one of the victims in this story. Now Jesus sees Peter responding to fear with violence, And he quickly rebukes him. Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter hears this rebuke and puts his sword away. The officers arrest Jesus and take him to the first of many interrogations. Peter and another disciple head for a courtyard where Jesus is being interrogated. While they can't go into the room, they can be in the room outside of the room. And we read in John 18, verse 16, what happens next. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. John is a master storyteller, and he wants you to compare and contrast the words of Peter, I am not, with the bold confidence of Jesus, I am he. In verse 18, we read, now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. John then cuts back to another scene where Jesus is being interrogated and then returns to Peter at the fire in verse 25. The people around the fire look at Peter and they say, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? Peter denied it and said, I am not. And one of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Reading between the lines, we can hear this relative of Malchus almost saying, I'm pretty sure you were the guy who attacked my cousin. Wasn't that you? And in verse 27, again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. And Peter, in fact, denied Jesus Christ three times before the next morning. Now, these two stories are separated by several chapters. One takes place in John 13, and the other takes place in John 18. But we have to remember that in the chronological sense of this story, they only happen mere hours apart. On Thursday evening at dinner, Peter confidently claims, I will lay down my life for you, Jesus. But as the evening wears on, this same man three times very weakly says, I am not, I am not, I am not. What happened? What changed between Thursday night and Friday morning? How does Peter go from strong confidence to feeble weakness? I think what happens is that Peter felt confident in who he was and how he would act if presented with a crisis. And then a crisis hit. And in that crisis, Peter discovered that he was not nearly as strong as he believed. In other words, Peter said to Jesus, I will stick by your side no matter what. And then what happened? And Peter found that he didn't have the strength to stand by Jesus' side. And as I look back at these past two weeks of social distancing, and as I read this story, this social distancing has taught me that I am a lot like Peter. Imagine if you could go back one month from today and ask me, Craig, you're in charge of a church. What would happen if a virus hit the United States of America? And it was so severe that it would be labeled as a pandemic, and this pandemic would shut down your church and every church in America, and you'd be meeting online. How would you react to that pandemic? Well, a month ago, I probably would have told you that I would have never let fear govern my actions, that I would trust in Jesus, and that I would lead from a place of confidence, optimism, and hope. In other words, one month ago, I would have loved to tell you how strong I would be in a pandemic. And then a pandemic hit, and I found out that I was not nearly as strong as I thought I was. I mean, on Monday, March 16, there was a point where I completely broke down, where I was huddled in a fetal position, just weeping. I was weeping because I was so stressed out trying to be strong and confident for my kids. I was weeping because I have many friends and family members who are in healthcare and I worry for their safety daily. I was weeping because we keep hearing about at risk populations and those with underlying conditions like lung disease, and my wife suffers from asthma. She is at risk in the midst of this pandemic. And I would love to tell you about how strong I was and how my faith never wavers for a second in the midst of all of this uncertainty, but that would be a lie. A month ago, I would have told you about how strong I would be in a pandemic. And then a pandemic hit. And I found out... That I'm not nearly as strong as I thought I was. I have been stressed out. I have been angry. I've been short with people. I've been filled with despair. This is much more challenging than I ever anticipated. Not only that, but I lead this church community and our church is very young. been around for just four years, it's quite easy then to say that we are experiencing more suffering as a community than we ever have before. And I've heard from some of you who have lost jobs, who have been put on paid leave. I've heard from some of you who are burnt out in the healthcare industry. I've heard from some of you who don't know how to make ends meet. And it weighs on me. And what we could do before when we experienced suffering is that we could show up and be in each other's lives and we could hug each other and say, I'm so sorry, but even that has been taken away during this season of social distancing. And as I look back at pictures from March 7th, the last time our community met together, I'm filled with both sadness and anger. Sadness because none of us knew that would be the last time we would meet for a while and anger because we never really had a chance to say goodbye to each other. We met and thought we'd be back the next week, and then all of a sudden it was gone. This season of social distancing has been tough for me, and I know it has been tough for you. I know it's been difficult for you. And when I read this story of Peter... I have learned in the midst of this pandemic that I am a lot like Peter. I am not nearly as strong as I thought I was. And I just want us to sit for a moment in the realization of our weakness. If you are feeling weak right now, I want you to know you are not alone. I feel the same as you. And I believe that Peter felt the same as you and I do today. But to my siblings in Christ, the story is not over for Peter. And if the story isn't over for Peter, then the story isn't over for you, and the story isn't over for me. After denying Jesus three times, Jesus is put through a few corrupt trials and then found guilty by both church and state and sentenced to be crucified on a cross. He dies shortly before Friday night and is then buried. But three days later, he bursts forth from the grave with the miracle of resurrection. Jesus first appears to some women and then to the disciples, not once, not twice, But three times. And we read about the third time in John chapter 21, which takes place at the Sea of Galilee. John writes about it with these words in verse 4 Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples who were in a boat, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. And Jesus said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So the disciples cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked and jumped into the lake. Now I need to pause here for a moment and just recognize what's happening here. I know we're talking about resurrection. But I can't get over the fact that Peter fishes naked. Just remember that when you're trying to visualize this story in your mind. Peter and his disciples, most likely all of them, are naked on a boat together fishing when Jesus shows up. Hallelujah. Verse 8, the story continues. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And Jesus said to them in verse 12, come and have breakfast. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And after a pause, Jesus then says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter is wondering why Jesus is asking him three times, do you love me? And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, I believe that Peter was hurt because when Jesus asks him for the third time if Peter loves him, Peter understands what is happening here. Jesus knows that Peter denied him three times. And the third time Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter realizes that Jesus did not forget that which Peter would like Jesus to forget. But Jesus is not in the forgetting business. Jesus is in the redemption business. And each time... Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He is essentially taking that which makes Peter weak and turning it into his story. Not only that, but he's acknowledging the mistake that Peter made before, the weakness that Peter had before, and telling him each time to feed my sheep, which is a statement of leadership. And so Jesus doesn't seek to forget Peter's story, but instead seeks to redeem this story. Now, you may have heard this story before in your lifetime if you grew up in the church. I will tell you that I have heard this story before, but this story for me is particularly meaningful because even though I grew up going to church and going to church school, I didn't hear this story for the first time until I was a junior in high school at Junior Senior Bible Conference in 2001. On that day, the preacher was a man named Jonathan Henderson, and that man was putting on a preaching clinic. He told us high school students about this story, and he talked about how interested Jesus was in our redemption and how Jesus goes to us in our weakness and meets us there. Up until that point in my lifetime, I had this sense that God was this big guy in the sky who was waiting for me to mess up so that God could be justified in keeping me out of heaven. But then Jonathan Henderson told me this story from 2,000 years ago, and it changed my entire perception of who God was in an instant. All of a sudden, God wasn't in the judging business. God was in the redemption business, and God was going to do whatever it took to move toward me in my weakness and make things right, make things better, work toward me, and meet me there. In other words, God was looking for every excuse to bring me into heaven and not keep me out of heaven. Now, this was a big deal to me as a junior in high school because I grew up with a lot of positive memories in church. But it was at that moment as a junior in high school that I realized that I wanted this to be my own. Shortly after that story, I was baptized by a man named Mark Holm, and it changed the course of my life and my perception of God. Now, while I could not have spoken these words back then, the reason this story meant so much to me in my junior year of high school is because it made me realize that God isn't disappointed in the fear that we hold. Instead, God compassionately moves toward us in our fear. And at the heart of the gospel story is the testimony that God meets us in our fear. Now, if you only hear one thing from this podcast, I hope you hear this theological statement. God meets us in our fear. And while this may seem like a big theological idea, I'd like to share with you three applications for what this means, particularly in the midst of this pandemic. So let's begin with the first application for what it means for God to meet us in our fears. Here we have a story about a disciple who claims that he is quite strong in his faith for Jesus. And then the rubber meets the road, and he finds out he is not nearly as strong as he thought he was. He denies Jesus three times. Jesus is crucified. There is grieving, there is sadness, and then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, resurrection occurs. Peter sees the resurrected Christ with his own eyes. And decides that this is a message that the world needs to hear. And so Peter goes out and tells the world about the love, the inspiration, the compassion, and the hope of Jesus Christ. Now I have a question I'd like to ask you as you listen to this podcast. Is Peter's story better or worse when you include his three denials of Jesus Christ? I would argue it's better. Is Peter's story more inspiring or less inspiring when you include the three denials of Christ? I will tell you each time it is more inspiring because it inspired me from the time I was a junior in high school. And if Jesus Christ can redeem and restore Peter after Peter abandons him in Jesus' hour of need, then what that means is that Jesus Christ can restore and redeem you and me in the midst of our fear. And when we consider what this pandemic does to us and how it strikes fear into our hearts, the story of Peter reminds us that we do not need to be ashamed of our lack of faith. We only need to be honest. And I've heard from people across the globe that we need to be positive and hopeful in the midst of this crisis, and I couldn't agree more. But my brothers and sisters, if we are only positive, then we are going to be naive and unable to help anyone and uninspiring. The first application of God meeting us in our fear is that if we want to be positive, then we need to create space to be honest. Now, when it comes to my kids, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, Maya and Bodhi. I'm not going to be super honest with my six-year-old and three-year-old about the fears, the anxiety, and the depression that I have, right? But I do have relationships with people, with my brother, with some friends that I can call up and express my doubts, express the anxiety that I'm feeling, that I can share what's really on my mind. And as long as I can be honest in those spaces, it will allow me to live in the depths of this pandemic, but also to live in the depths with a positive and hopeful approach. My brothers and sisters and siblings, if we want to be positive, then we need to create space to be honest. And we can do this because we know that God meets us in our fear which brings us to the second application of this theological idea. Now, if you study all of scripture, you will find story after story of God meeting someone in their fears, despite this feeling that God only meets them when they are strong. But I'd like to stick with the story of Peter. And you can read about what happens to Peter after Jesus is resurrected from the dead in the book of Acts. Peter then goes out and tells the world about the hope the inspiration and the love of Jesus Christ, and it threatens a lot of power structures of the day. So much so that Peter, who was most likely a law-abiding citizen and a good Jew up until this point, is thrown in jail in Acts 4. You can imagine that Peter's thinking to himself while he's in jail, i never really pictured my life going here, but here we are. And anytime anyone goes to jail for the first time in their life, they are afraid. A few chapters later in Acts chapter 10, after Peter has been released, God gives Peter a vision and asks him to go exactly where his religion told him never to go. Specifically to a Gentile's house. And Peter follows God, follows the inspiration of Christ, into the spaces that he swore he would never go. You can imagine he had a lot of fear. Now, this Acts is so disruptive that in Acts chapter 11, Peter then is called in before the church authorities, this brand new church of Jesus Christ, and they ask him questions about why did you go where religion told you not to go? And Peter said, I felt like Jesus was leading me there. This action of Peter threatens to tear apart the church and anybody who cares about the church and who is leading the church knows there is a lot of fear when there's tension between different church members. The very next chapter, Peter is preaching about Jesus and he's thrown in jail again in Acts chapter 12. Then in Acts chapter 15, there is another council meeting in Jerusalem and a big old debate as the church threatens to split once again, even though it's a brand new church. Now, if Peter was with us on this podcast, imagine for a moment what we could ask him. One thing I would ask him is about the book of Acts, and I would say, Peter, you went through so much. Were you scared as you were thrown in jail and as the church was being ripped apart and as you were going places you never thought you would go? I have a guess that Peter would tell me, oh yeah, I was afraid But Craig, I was not alone. I can tell you that I was very scared of the situations we were in, but the hope and the confidence I had, if I had any confidence, was that I was not alone in the midst of those crises. The testimony of Scripture is that wherever we go, And whatever we face, God is with us, no matter how dark it gets. Not only that, but we at Paradox Church believe that every human being bears the image of Christ in a unique and personal way. For that reason, we think it's important for you and I to stay connected, not just in seasons of pandemic, but all the time. Because people tell us things about the divine that we can never see from our own sheltered experiences. For that reason, Paradox Church has made it a priority for you to find spaces where you can connect with other people, to remind you and me that we are not alone. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night at 7 p.m., we have a gathering so that you can count on that if you need to reach out and just see other people. Mondays are Bible study, Wednesday's prayer meeting, and Friday is a music service. Now, it doesn't just have to be the church. A few nights ago on a Thursday night, my friend Tyler, who's an atheist, and I just sat down with our wives and some friends, and we were able to play games over the internet, and that was healing to my soul. And the reason it was healing was because it reminded me that everybody across the country, no matter where they were was experiencing this thing that I was experiencing in Southern California. And so no matter where you are listening to this, I want to tell you that you are invited to participate in Paradox's events, and you can find out about them by signing up for our email list at paradoxredlands.com. And if church isn't your thing, that's totally fine. I would encourage you to reach out to others to remind yourselves that no matter what tomorrow brings, we are not alone. We're in this thing together. And one of the best things that you and I can do is this second application of what it means for God to meet us in our fears, is to reach out, to constantly connect with other people and remind ourselves that we are not alone, even though we are apart. Which brings us to the third application of what it means for God to meet us in our fears. On March 7, 2020, we had a church service that just felt like any other church service. What we did not know at the time was that it was the last time we would meet for a while. Our church has not met since March 7, 2020, and we have no idea when we are going to meet again. Now, if you're like me, the hardest part of this is the uncertainty. And we all know that this is temporary, but we don't know how long it's going to be until we can meet again. And while this is a difficult season, I would remind you that this is not the first time that we have gone through this as a community. We went through this before in 2015 when we were part of another church as a young adult group and due to a number of reasons, there were people that felt like we needed to be shut down and so we had this young adult group, this church body that was meeting, it was going well and then it all of a sudden went dark and you may have been there, you may not have been there, but I want to tell you the story of paradox because we need to remember who we are. In December of 2015, we weren't sure if or when we were ever going to worship together again. There was no promise that this would happen again. And it was tragic, and it was sad, and it was it was just a really difficult season. But do you remember what happened in February of 2016? Just a little over two months later, We came together as Paradox Church for the first time at the Mission Gables Bullhouse. And what once was lost was all of a sudden found again. Now, I will tell you that when I go back and look at those pictures from our first church service, it is impossible for me not to smile. In fact, when you see pictures of me from that day, I have the cheesiest, doofiest looking grin on my face through the whole church service. And the reason why is because I kept thinking, it's happening, we're back together again. We came back together again. My brothers, my sisters, my siblings, we've been through this before. And do you remember what that first church service was like? It was the happiest, most joyous church service I have ever been a part of. We're going to experience that again. And one of the main things that's keeping me going through all of this is the fact that I keep thinking about how happy that church service is gonna be when this season of social distancing is over. And I know, I know, I know this season that we're currently in is difficult but remind yourself why we are doing this. The only reason we are doing social distancing is because we have hope. We are not powerless in the face of this pandemic. We believe that our actions can slow the spread of this virus. We believe that we can flatten the curve so that everyone can get the proper care they need to beat this virus. The only reason we are doing this is because we have hope. We have hope that our elderly members of the congregation will be there with us on that day. We have this hope that our at-risk members will be with us on that day, when we come back together and we worship with joy and happiness and hope. My brothers and sisters and siblings, this is the third application of what it means for God to meet us in our fears. That we have hope that our actions can change the course of this pandemic. And I know it can be dark. And I know that if you're like me, there will be moments where you break down and weep. But to you who are having a hard time in the midst of this pandemic, I would gently remind you that God meets us in our fear. This is the idea that made me fall in love with Jesus nearly 20 years ago. And in the midst of this crisis, it is the idea that sticks with me and reminds us that we worship a God who is good. May we see and embrace Jesus Christ in all.